Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches of Husky Podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is the Coach V. Uh, Coach V, part of the launch of the UW Discord and now has become probably one of my favorite follows on Twitter, just uh, Mariner's Talk, uh, <laughs> the way that he knows uh, prospects. Uh, he was the my 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 voice of who the Mariners should draft. Um, and all that, but you know, coach, what a perfect episode for you to be on, um, the Washington Huskies offensive preview. Uh, you're a coach, you work on the offensive side of the ball. I think it's a perfect fit, uh, to, you know, tell people like me, maybe a little bit more about like why this offense is so great. So, um, I guess bearing the lead a little bit We're it's almost old news now. It was last week. It was announced that Washington was headed to the Big Ten. Um, I think you've heard uh, most, you know, uh, prognosticators, people like me, people that get paid a lot more than me uh, talking about it. But, you know, I'm glad Washington has a seat at the big guy table. Um, Coach, you had some really good takes on it before we started. So if you could just summarize those, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, growing up as a kid, you know, with the Pac-10 and and seeing all these great teams with, you know, the Huskies in the 90s, especially, um, you know, I grew up on that, you know, my, you know, people before us, obviously, with the Pac-8. And it's, it's incredible. Even even when I moved down here to Arizona, um, just talking with, you know, Sun Devil alums and U of A alums and talking about the old days with with Don, you know, Don James and Frank Cush and and just all these incredible stories and, and all the tradition. And it sucks to lose it. And, and there's no way around it. It absolutely sucks to lose it. In, in the perfect world where Larry Scott was never hired and 15 years of mismanagement and just becoming the butt of everybody's joke and the West Coast being, being just incredibly irrelevant for yeah. so long. And I mean, those USC teams really, you know, kept us in there for a while coincidentally while Washington was dealing with their own issues and, and couldn't get out of their own way. <clears throat> but it is so important that our president and our athletic director made a move that would, like you said, secure our seat at the table with the big boys. And um, we, it's so weird that we've seen better management or, or sorry, better marketing oh my gosh. by the big 10 in the last week than we've seen from our own conference in a decade. It's just surreal. It's just, I mean, I don't have any regrets about it. I kind of knew this is what was going to happen ever since the USC UCLA announcement last year. It just made sense, right? Yeah, it was always going to happen. And and when I talk to people um, that are close to the program or when I, you know, uh, parents of players, these kids have been under the impression they were going to the Big Ten for a long time. Right. It wasn't just this week. So I think that it was kind of knowledge, like, hey, just just be patient. It's going to happen for us. And they all kind of knew it was going to happen. So I wasn't too surprised by it. But it, you know, when it was finally announced, obviously, it was like, a, you know, just a huge sigh of relief. We're not going to be bankrupt. We're not going to we're right. not going to you know have to just go to the, you know, go by the wayside. And uh, I'm looking forward to all those new stadiums to visit. I'm going to. I'm really hoping to uh, book my trip to Michigan State uh, very soon. Uh, got to see Michigan a couple years ago. 
obviously looking forward to Iowa and Penn State and Ohio State and just, you know, it's a whole different world out there. And I'm glad that we're a part of it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I loved your tweet yesterday after um, Julio robbed that home run where he shows the ball and uh, President Kawase rejecting the Pac-12's menial <laughs> uh, media offer and going with the Pac- Big Ten. That was, uh, I, I think it's the reason why Twitter exists. Oh man. Yeah. It was fun. And it's funny because like, I, I just tweeted that out. I was like being a smart Alec and it just kind of blew up and yep. like 11, 12,000 views on it. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. okay. all right, cool. Yeah. Just, <laughs> thanks Julio. Thanks for the setup. I appreciate it. That was a great catch. Um, but yeah, it was, that was a cool moment last night when he, you know, when that happened and I saw that still shot of him just kind of sheepishly showing the ball. And I was like, that had to be what that was like. Yeah for our president. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. After, you know, a lot of conjecture that she uh, has kind of given the green light, kind of a rubber stamp for, you know, the PAC 12 leadership in general to, to see her really step up. And I was in on the zoom call that they had. And she even said like, this was my responsibility. This was my decision. And I made it. And I just, I couldn't be happier. For all the people in the last five years or so that have been really critical of our, you know, upper campus and Jen Cohen mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they've been making some pretty savvy moves. And, and that was just, that was such a huge deal to save everything that we hold dear and to kind of take that next step. I thought it was really forward thinking and it seemed like a no brainer, but people were still pretty nervous about it. So I'm glad that they stepped up and I'm glad that they have our backs. And, you know, kind of looking, I guess this is the one conjecture looking forward that I have is looking at where Washington is going to be stepping into the Big Ten. And, you know, with everybody saying that they're going to be a seven, not everybody, but of course, people that aren't part of the program saying that they're going to be a seven, five team. I look at it and they're going to still be an upper half team in that league um year in and year out i think i mean the cycle is going to be a little bit different where if they would have stayed in that you know the zombie version of the big 10 uh, uh pack 12 or you know even going to the big 12 where they would be winning it i would say or at least half of the decade um this will be a little bit tougher but you know being in that big 10 is going to allow them uh you know i think there's probably going to be four teams out of the big 10 and i think every year University of Washington, how they've set up their foundation uh, with Kalen DeBoer. And like, honestly, when Jen Cohen uh, really had to work to find a replacement for Jimmy Lake, she knocked it out of the park. And so like, I, I trust her uh, to take us into the big 10. And I was, I was that a uh, loud mouth, uh, you know, right after the, uh, you know, it wasn't even right after it was before the uh, Jimmy's debacle in the Oregon game. And I'm on, you know, I was on Dogman at that time. And I was on Twitter, basically telling anybody who would listen, like, look, I know we're not going to fire Jimmy. But here's somebody we should look at if we are. And I kept talking about Kalen DeBoer. Every time I dug into his stuff, I was like, wow, you know, this is so simple. It's so easy. It's so it's so just hard to defend. 
And he's had all this success in building cultures everywhere he's gone. He's won. Yeah. And I just kept talking about it and people kept jumping on the bandwagon. I was like, yeah, but they're not going to fire him. And I flew up for that Oregon game and I was freezing my tail off in the rain. Yes. Just pissed off, just Mm -hmm. miserable that, oh my God, we had such a great shot at this, but man. And and towards the end, he's punting the ball. And I'm like, I, I walked out. I've never left a football game early. It's the only game I left early as well. And I walked out. I was like, well, going to get on the light rail. We're done. Yeah, And I'm on the light rail with my buddy Glenn and I looked at him and I said, I don't know what that ruckus was. I had to like, we were looking about, we didn't see the Jimmy incident yep. with you know, pushing the players. And, and But I said, I don't know what that was down there, but I keep getting texts from people. And I'm like, this might be our opportunity yeah. to just reset. And so now we've got this guy and, and, and I want, I can't stress this enough going to the big 10 having, you know, we're, we're obviously taking a partial share for a few years. But there's that little stipulation where they can borrow against their future earnings. You're going to need it to keep him. A hundred percent. Absolutely. When Mel Tucker's getting $10 million a year, you're not paying Caleb DeBoer $3 million a year for very long. Yeah. So, you know, we're paying our OC $2 million. Mm-hmm. Like that's insane. I never thought I would see a day where Washington would do that. But, you know, it's, it's hats off to him. Hats off to DeBoer for like taking care of his staff. But more is coming. Yeah. And I think if they just stay on this path and we can just kind of ratchet up recruiting a little bit. And obviously the Big Ten profile is huge. Still a little shaky with NIL. I still don't know how we fit in that world yet. But, you know, this is just a bunch of positives right now. Yeah, 100 percent. And the beauty of moving into the Big Ten is now Kalen DeBoer, the options of moving up in programs shrank drastically. Uh, pretty much every move, except for the the biggest of the bluest of the blue bloods, is a lateral move. And I was listening to the the Husky fan podcast, and I think it was I can't remember which one it was, but one of them mentioned the fact that uh, he's a Midwest guy, but you know Midwesterners and the Pacific Northwest, uh, there's a lot of transplants and. You know, one uh, one of them focused more on like the Seattle side of it, and um, which I mean, I understand the University of Washington's in Seattle, but the the Northwest is a very it's very similar to the Midwest in like the best times of the Midwest seasons. So I know a ton of Midwestern transplants who moved out here because they came, and there's not a snowy season. Yeah, here too, but. Obviously, there's not really a snowy season ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it was weird. Like I, when I moved down to Florida in 2007, the school I worked at, half the staff was Michigan or Ohio transplants. They're yeah. all younger teachers and stuff. Like they're getting out of the, but they're everywhere. And you know, the rivalry week of Michigan and Ohio State was like a bloodbath in the hallways. You know, people jumping into uh, people's classrooms and pranking. It was so serious. I was like, man, I wish. I wish people where I grew up were this passionate and it was acceptable. And, you know, so I think for some of our fans, it'd be a little bit of a, a a wake up, you know, it's like, Hey, this is, this is for real. Now we're not playing, you know, the Oregon state, no offense to Oregon state. We're not playing the uh, U of A's like, you know, where you go and there's 30,000 people or or whatever. Yeah. You're going to go into loaded stadiums. You know, we saw it at Michigan a couple of years ago. That was just a beautiful spectacle. The horseshoe, uh, Camp Randall, like we're going to go into some hostile environments. And so 
having somebody who knows how to build a culture and knows how to win. Um, huge, obviously. For sure. And really piggybacking off of what something you said a little bit ago, you talked about Kalen DeBoer's offensive system, how simple it is and how effective it is. Um, this is the offensive preview. You're the offensive guy. Tell me what makes this offense so good. It is. Um, it's not a super complex offense. I would say like it's somewhere in the middle. There's a lot of check with me stuff. So at the line of scrimmage, if they don't like the look, they look to the sidelines and, you know, Tennessee might have like the most, how I want to say the most user-friendly, like it's a pretty simple system. There's not a lot of complex reads and checks and stuff like that. Um, we're somewhere in the middle where they're still checking, but I think they give uh, Michael Penix a lot of freedom. And I think he's earned that obviously because he's been with them forever. Right. So I think like they're, they're like, you got this. Cool. If you want to check out of something, you can do it. Um, they really just know how to get mismatches. And I know that that seems like it's kind of simple. Like if you just wrote plays down, you could just say, well, I'm going to call the same play he did. Yeah. But um, somebody highlighted on Twitter this week, um, something very simple that they do that I really loved. And I highlighted last year was that wide delay where the tight end signs right. up, he, 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 he lines up in pass protection and then they just release him out after the coverage has kind of gone there. And he's like, how do you defend that? You can't like, you have to be looking for something like that. When they run their vertical concepts, um, very rarely will you see them not max protect. So they might have three receivers into a route on a, on a vertical concept. And the outside guys especially have the option to, if they're playing cover three and they're bailing, they can cut it off at any time. And that's a check with the quarterback. Like he sees off coverage. He knows that he's going to throw that out or he's sort of, he's going to throw that hitch or something underneath or the, the Y is going to come across and he's going to, he's going to do a shallow. Um, that's not necessarily the way the play is drawn up, but they have so many checks and they have so many like automatics and say, Hey, if, if the defense is doing this, we're doing this. Like you and don't, so, they don't even have to signal it to each other. They just, they, yeah, they see exactly. the events and they know. Okay. And that is such a huge deal when, when you get from like the high school level to the college level is wide receivers being able to, can they read coverages? It's a hard thing to do, but if they're all on the same page, it's like, it's just beautiful, like orchestrated, you know, music. And so they have all that. And then they have their inside zone run, which they ran like 90% of the time last year, they didn't really bounce it outside that much. And a lot of that has to do with personnel. But um, I really look forward to the day where they start going a little bit more off tackle or a little bit, you know, you know, if, like, like in our offense, we have um, like designations, like, like if we want to run stretch outside to the right, it's 80 press. Or if we want to run it to the left, it's 90 press. And you have like, you know, you just go in from like 80 to 60 to 40 and, we were kind of in between the tackles for like 90% of our run stuff. I'd like to see it expand, but if it's working, absolutely just keep it where it is. But So is there a, um, I guess, is there a benefit? I got, okay, hold on. Back up two questions. So the first one with that delayed um, tight end pass protection, then he leaks out. Uh, one of the ones that sticks out to me was the third and nine conversion against Oregon state that really started. Uh, it, Washington was backed up deep in their own territory. Um, and it was to Devin Culp. Do you remember that play? Oh yeah. 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 
like and that's what you're talking about because it ended up not being across he just he he pat he i don't even know if he chipped he he was in protection then he just turned caught and ran for i don't know 12 15 yards yeah uh, that's exactly it and it's it's crazy how they've have used the tight ends since they got there um Culp obviously stepped up and made a bunch of big plays Westover. I'm really excited to see what Moore's going to do. Moore's just this massive dude yeah. that he's a really good receiver. That's mm-hmm. all he did in high school and junior college. And then he got there and he became their extra tackle. So when they I got to tell you, dude, I was at practice the other day and they were doing one-on-one uh, block, uh, almost like a block blitz drill. And um, Michelle Powell ran right through Devin Culp. Um, but then it was it was Drew Fowler um, against uh, uh, it's 88. Um, you were just talking about him. Moore. Yeah, Quentin Moore. And Quentin Moore stonewalled him. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was there was no holding. It was right in the in the chest and Drew Fowler stopped. And it's really cool, like, towards the end of the season. You saw it in the Alamo Bowl game, too, where they finally gave him a few, like, hey, here you go. Fall out into the flat and turn it up because he's so good at that. But he was so good at being the blindside protector sometimes or the the strong side protector when they they would run – they run this thing called – I don't know what they call it, actually, but it's it's boot action, but it's still drop back. It's play action off boot, but he stays in the pocket – and, and and Quentin Moore is just stonewalling blitzers, guys on the edge, and they keep running back in on that stuff too a lot of the times. And so, like, go ahead, bring as many people as you want. We've got seven to pick everything up. Michael Pennis is a really smart guy, and our three receivers are going to find some space because you've just brought the house. Yeah. Quentin Moore is, is honestly – Somebody asked me this last year, and I said, he's one of my favorite players just because he's so selfless. And I remember, not this last spring, but the spring before, and we went to go watch practice at the at the coach's clinic. And um, he was the one guy in all the tight end drills who afterwards, coach, bring him aside, and it's like, all right, we got to do this. And trying to get his feet perfect and trying to do everything technique perfect because you could see there was potential there, but he was so raw. And yeah. to go from that spring to what he looked like in the fall was insane. Was it? It was so different. And he was just so natural. And I'm like, man, this guy can play in the NFL. I'm not even, I said that at the beginning of last year, and I, I can't wait to see what he does this year. I think he's an NFL tight end. Oh, boy. I, I feel like there's that, and we'll get to tight ends, but I, I think there's a few guys in that room that are, uh, NFL tight ends. I mean, this offense, you look at it, there's NFL players all over it. Um, the other thing that you mentioned was, uh, you know, the, 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 the way that it's simple yet complex because of the way that these guys are able to read defenses, understand what they're supposed to do and then uh, execute it. And you saw a couple of times in the Alamo bowl where they weren't on the same page. Um, I guess, my first question around that would be what um, can you think of any of those instances of, you know, maybe what the receiver saw versus what Penix saw? 
Um, it was funny because uh, I was there in person and we were kind of tucked away in the uh, corner of the end zone. Um, and so I was kind of, you know, fighting the, some of the sight lines a little bit and trying to see what they were doing to us. And I had to get home and watch the game yeah. on DPR. And I thought Texas did a really good job of like slowing us down simply because for one, they had really good athletes. Sure. And that Ryan Watts kid that was playing boundary corner, I just wanted to steal right. him. I wanted to take right. him to Seattle and say, here you go. Um, I really liked what they had um, in the secondary, but you know, a lot of things uh, you see it like with certain teams like Cal and the, the way to slow down our offense from just blowing up is, you know, the basic cover two shell. And then what you do out of that is how, you know, you're going to either stop us or we're going to pick you apart. Texas was really good at showing like a look and then bringing, you know, a robber to the middle of the field and bringing uh, like exotic pressures off the edge and like unbalanced looks. And it just took a while. And they, there was a, cu a couple of times in the first quarter where they, where they just missed the, the timing was just missed yeah. and we could have had touchdowns and, it was a competitive game. I never really felt like we were ever in any trouble, especially when yeah. we didn't, you know, B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not too high on Quinn Ewers. I know that's, you know, some people, maybe he's a controversial kind of polarizing guy. Right. I just think like they did a really good job of like just slightly disrupting the rhythm. Got it. And if you can, if you can get pressure on us, that's a different story. You saw in the UCLA game, sure. Latu, he, he, you know, our tackles didn't give up pressure all year long, but in that UCLA game, they struggled a little bit with him. Um, and you see a couple of mistakes here and there. I mean, we only gave up what was like eight sacks all year or something, mm -hmm. something crazy. Right. Um, a lot of that is on the, the protection. A lot of that is on Michael Penix, but every once in a while, if you can just get us to hold the ball a little bit longer, um, it's up to it's up to him to find the checkdowns and just be patient. And that's what teams I feel like teams are going to do that to us this year. I feel like they're going to try to slow us down and make us go 15 plays to score a touchdown instead of three or four. Yeah, I I feel like that's one of the only ways that you're going to be able to try to at least slow down this offense because the offense really they don't lose a lot. And what they lost, you could argue that they improved. Um, it's, it's a, it's a scary, scary offensive unit right there. Yeah, 100%. And just looking at, uh, you know, having Michael Penix, not being in any sort of quarterback battle, he's able to take all of the ones, you know, and frankly, right now he's not, <laughs> at least to the media, the practices for the media, he's not taken any reps since like Saturday. People are getting um, nervous. What's that? People are getting nervous. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't. Um, I watched him. He when I was there, he was just running, keeping his legs warm, and he was taking ghost reps. Uh, I, I'm not worried about it. Um, is there a benefit to him being the starter, getting to work with Jalen Rome and uh, Polk for an entire offseason? Oh my gosh. It is so, you know, it's, it's funny because I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, well, you know, we had two 1000 yard receivers and then we have all these supporting guys who are, you know, just stars and Jalen right. Paul get a shot in the NFL. And then you've got, you know, Jeremy Bernard transferred in and yeah. that was a whole weird thing for a year where he was in Seattle ready to move in. 
he was going to be roommates with Parker Brailsford, and then all of a sudden he never showed up to campus, and then he was in Michigan. Did you know decently well, right? Oh, yeah. I'm friends with his dad and a great kid. And obviously the family's amazing. Anytime I I have an excuse to, you know, meet up or or just see them at games, you know, you got to come and say hi. Um, But yeah, that was supposed to be his roommate and he never showed up. Spent a year at Michigan State. Was like, you know what? I think I want to be a Husky again. And oh my God, that that might be one of the scariest dudes in the room. And then you've got Charles Jackson. And then you've got uh, Boston. And it's like, Okay, that's not fair. Yeah, we've only got one football, so I mean, mm-hmm. you know, guys are gonna have to wait their turn. But I, the way I see it is just, I think they're all so on the same page now that I think Michael Penix could drop back, not say anything, and and Rome and Jalen will probably know exactly what he's thinking just based on the coverage. Right. Um, what does man? This is such a played out question with how much. Michael Penix has been talked about, but I did see some scout today talk about how erratic he was and <laughs> went into the Oregon State game where I was there. It was insane how uh, how windy it was. Um, tell would me, what you say, would you say that weather was worse than the Oregon game when Jimmy's like when when Jimmy was still there? It was drier, but it was it was worse. Okay. Yeah. It, it was it, I, I, Oregon. That Oregon game was so cold and so wet, <laughs> but yeah, guys can throw in cold and wet. When, if you threw the ball up in that Oregon state game, right. it was moving. Yeah. And it was obvious on TV from where I was sitting in my warm living room, but yeah. um, well, yeah. so here, here's, here's a good thing. Here's, here's, here's another piece from that Oregon state game. Jonathan, Jonathan Smith went for it twice uh, instead of kicking field goals. And a lot of the, I watched the game and what they were talking about is, you know, him trying to be aggressive and, you know, get points and whatever. But the reality is, is like kicking in that situation was not easy. No. And oh, refresh my memory, the big linebacker that they kept using in short yardage, um, Oregon State. Um, I can't remember his name. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's from Camas. Um, yeah. I, Ryan Knowles in my head, and I apologize because I don't remember uh, his name, but I'm I know who you're at, talking about. I'm looking at his face right now, and I can't. Yep. But they're like, well, you know, that's our that's our short yardage guy. And to the you know the Huskies' credit, I think they figured out early on that Gil Branson um, couldn't do anything in that storm right and they just said all right well you gash us early shame on us for for not doing this earlier but yeah they slid it all up and i mean obviously it was going to be an offensive struggle just because of you know but it was kind of funny and that that guy's account says former jet scout which i think is complete bs because (laughs) former scouts that start their own services or their own accounts and stuff they they promote themselves right Hey, I don't want to get in. If you're a former scout, you're not, nobody's, you're not beholden to anybody. You know, it's just, just some random wacko who's just out there pretending to be somebody. And, and, uh, a lot of people in, in, uh, in our fan base had a lot of fun with him today. So, uh, yeah, for sure. So what, what about Michael Penix makes him so great? You know, it's so funny because you, you can point to different things and, you know, you compare him to his younger days when he was at Indiana before the injuries where he was like a dual threat guy. Yeah. And he, 
like he showed in the apple cup that if you throw a pass back to him he can run and, and make people miss and but i think the evolution of michael Penix is that he came into the program and just sort of won everybody over he's got the big personality yeah. he's super confident and if you've ever been in a huddle with a guy like that it just gives you confidence it, it makes you feel like you're on that level and you can you need to perform for him like he's going to do for you um he's got the he's got the requisite arm strength he can make you know all the throws he really needs to make for the college level and when the hashes are changed in the nfl and they get a little wider he's not going to have an issue with that um he's just it's weird to say that a really super talented guy like that who has a really you know amazing arm and has all these abilities is the gamer but yeah. I, like that's that's him like he's just one of those guys he's he's got that um, he's got a little bit of that two Sopo gamer quality, but he's just got a polished pocket passing, you know, game that's tailor made for the pro game. For sure. And uh, Jack Coletto is the name. I looked it up. Yes, Jack Coletto. Um, behind him, uh, guys that you hope to never see a meaningful snap in 2023, but, you know, this room is pretty deep and you know the newest member of it is William Haskell. Um he's he's a dual threat guy. I watched him in practice. He didn't do a lot, but you could tell like he would be great in a Kalen DeBoer style uh offense. Um you of course have Demo who Dylan Morris continues to progress as a passer. He looked pretty good in the 11 on 11s where depending on the team you're you're going to feel pretty comfortable if he needs to do a spot start unless it's against you know the upper echelon of the Pac-12 um and then the one that's really really interesting and uh, I wrote about him and then uh, uh come to find out so did literally everybody else that was at practice is Austin Mack um he's 17 years old he just turned 17 in June um he's 6'6 226 and he's got such a great arm and he shows flashes of why he was, you know, one of the, I think it's a top 10 quarterback in his, in his class. And uh, then he also showed you why he was also still 17 years old and made a bunch <laughs> of mistakes, but man, he looks really talented. What do you, what do you got on the rest of the quarterback room? Man, I'll tell you what, I, I am so fixated right now on Mr. Mac because you know, someone someone mentioned on Twitter yesterday that he was six seven. I was like, even if he was, you just keep that on the down low. That's, mm -hmm. that's, quarterbacks don't want anybody getting out there. He doesn't move like he's six six. Right. He doesn't. He just looks sort of like loose and athletic. And obviously, he's a pocket passer, but I, I think there'll be a little bit more in the tank for that. Um, coming from Folsom High School. Yeah. You know, you know Jake Browning's all yeah. all. About um, they, they, they've had a few guys come through there and put up some insane numbers. Um, just after the whole debacle with, you know, losing keen holes and, and not having a, a high school quarterback for a while and just kind of bringing in, you know, transfer guys, the fact that he kind of, it almost feels like he fell into our laps. Yeah. And then he, and then he reclassified and you're like, wait, what? That is incredible. And that just says that, that just says to me that the kid is special because he did that so he could go sit behind Penix for one year and then come start when he should be a true freshman. Right. And that that's intriguing to me. 
just to have that kind of bravado, like, hey, look, yeah, I mean, I could go through my senior year and I'll come in and I'll try to compete as a true freshman. He's smart enough to know that that never happens. That rarely happens. And he's like, but if I get in there, get my foot in the door, get into spring early, I'll have two springs before my first start, possibly. Two camps, that type of deal. So I am just so intrigued with him. I don't even care who else is in the room right now. I just I, I just want to see what he does. Um, Haskell, I have no idea. I have not watched anything on him yet. I've just been hearing good things from people who are like yourself who are at practice. And that's super exciting to me because we have depth and – you know, I, I'm not ready to give up on Demo. I, I just think that, you know, when I when I think about quarterbacks, I put them in a different category. So, like, you have the guy who can carry a team, and that's your Michael Penix. Yeah. And then you have a guy that if you – I, I kind of almost think like Demo's like in that Jimmy Garoppolo, like if you give him a good running game and a good defense and he can manage it and a lot of play action, a lot of boot action like he did in that 2020 season, you can, you know, if you're expecting him to kind of go down the field and uh, do those vertical shots. That's that's not his thing, right? You know, arm strength, and then the 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 throwing motion, the the way it kind of comes across the shoulder a little bit, cuts it off there. It, it's not the trajectory that you want, and that's why a lot of his deep balls are overthrown or flat. Yeah, you know, but in the right system with the right personnel around him, he could win ten games for you. Yeah, he's a smart kid, and he's a gamer too. And 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 I I just respect the hell out of that kid because. There's so many other people, like 90% of like the other guys who would be in his position would have been out the door last year. Right. Oh, 100%. And, and family dub and he's been a UW fan his whole life. And it's just really special to see that he cares that much about being a Husky. Every single game I've been to, whether it's home or away, I've seen Dylan Morris's dad. I mean, he, he it's really. Yeah. You could put him in a line of a thousand people and you could, you could point him out. He looks, ex- Dylan looks exactly like him. Uh, have you met him? I've never met. I've seen them in like the gift, sh- like in, in like team store and stuff at the stadium. The whole family's got, you know, Morris on the jerseys. Uh-huh. And even when he was red shirting, they're like, no, nope, we're all here in full force. There's like yeah. six of them. Um, yeah. Everywhere. Every, every time I've ever gone to a game, you see them and it's really cool that, you know, just to be able to share that with your family. And, you know, I was never a D one athlete, so I couldn't, you know, I I don't even know what that's like, but um, it's just incredible to have that kind of love for your university. And then to have that support system that just roots you on no matter what. Yeah. And I mean, he came in and he made a couple of big throws. Uh, I don't remember exactly who it was against, but he came in and he had to make a third down throw uh, a third and, and long uh last year and he ended up completing that pass so and we've seen in the past you know he even under some really really poor offensive coaches uh, was able to put up some numbers so like yeah being being a guy who's been around the program for a long time been under Kalen DeBoer by all intents and purposes everybody has said that when he's done playing football he's going to be a coach um you know those guys make really good football players too so I think it's going to be intriguing next year to watch, you know, just an 18 year old kid with just stellar stuff, Dylan Morris, and then, and then Haskell, uh, you know, in, in a, in a full bone quarterback competition. I mean, competition 
It is amazing. I love it. You know, even in the high school level, you have guys who are returning starters and you, you expect those guys. But man, I, there's nothing that's more exciting when a kid who was sort of like at the end of the bench the year before comes up and he has like a great off season and then you're just like, whoa, we can't give this guy off the field. And <laughs> we're both high school coaches. And so we see it on, I would say even more extreme because they hit that like, I don't know. Sometimes it's like a a, a late maturing. Oh yeah. We had, a, we had a third baseman who, uh, you know, when when COVID shut everything down, he left. It's kind of like a chubby kid, and he came back. I didn't even recognize him, and he ended up being our starting center fielder for the next two years. That yeah, those are great. Um, there's a kid in our program. I don't want to name drop because a lot of people are probably going to hear the podcast. But there is, uh, for some people that know me, know that there is a former Husky great in our community that lives in Mesa, and his two sons go to my high school where I coach. And the older son, um, he's not playing football anymore. He he never got that 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 size, that growth spurt, and he just he's a really great kid. I love him. Um, I gave him his first playing time when he when he when he showed up in 2020. And uh, he's got a little brother. I say little um, loosely. Yeah. In 2020, when uh, his older brother came, um, his dad was waiting in the parking lot for him. And I was leaving, go to my car, and I hear a go Huskies. And there is one of my favorite players of all time yelling at me to come over and talk to him. And he's sitting in his truck waiting. And there's this fifth grader in the passenger seat that you can tell is just going to be a big boy. And that big boy now um, went to the Bay Area over the summer to stay with his mom, came back right before school started. I used to be the same height as him. And he's now about six, four and a half. Yeah. And he's a size 16 shoe. Yeah. And he put on 20 pounds over the summer. And he's starting to look a lot like his um, his husky father who was also a very, very good NFL player. And now it's just a point of like, hey, just growing into your body and getting bigger and stronger and faster. And um, he wiped out a kid today at practice today. I was, I was, I was looking over there and, and it was like, okay, okay. Go get him, kid. <laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, yeah. It's just really cool. Like the, the stocky little fifth grader to the cocky seventh grader who I had with the, you know, they got into the feeder team and now he's just, he's way bigger than me. And he still, he still wants to like high five me and go dogs every time I walk up to practice. But then the, the kid started putting his elbow on me, on my shoulder, like lean on me uh-huh. up there. And I looked at him and I was like, look, I don't care who your father is. I'm going to throw you. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. You don't do that to me. But um, yeah, it's just stuff like that, that really just, you think back and you look at those you know moments and you're like man this is really cool yeah. and then you start to feel really old and then you, you go into denial and you just coach up the next batch of kids and don't worry about <laughs> it uh, next group is the running back group and this group has a lot of names in it that have seen a lot of time um wayne tulipapa especially in the second half of the season was really really important for the huskies down the road down the stretch um but man, uh, getting Dylan Johnson into this group from Michigan, uh, uh, sorry, Mississippi State, 
a super receiver out of the backfield. Uh, Cam Davis continues his ascension. Uh, his body continues to change. This Ron McKeefer has taken every single one of those guys that was way too big has continued to turn them into uh, the best version of the athlete. And Cam Davis is no different. Um, he looks faster. He's catching the ball at the backfield. He's more flexible. Uh, I watched him take one uh, at the shins and and complete it and continue that run. Uh, Richard Newton looks like LeVon Coleman. Um, he just looks like an absolute tank. Um, it, you know, it, you keep going. There's just so many guys in this room that, uh, you know, Sam Adams saw time last year. He continues to, you know, watching him be healthy. He looks better. I know that you've talked to, I remember you talking about him in the past running high, but you know, he, I think that I can project him like as a Dylan Johnson, if things continue, just a really good receiver out of the backfield. And then Will Nixon looks like an absolute different human being. Um, he yeah, is he's bigger, way bigger. Yeah. Um, there's there's so many that. guys in that group. So let me first say, um, Wayne Talapapa, man, thank you so much because, yeah. um, stability, I was right? Guys, I was one of those guys that was like, he's okay. He does a lot of things pretty well. But, you know, let's get these other guys in here and mix this up a little bit because I think he's a little bit limited athletically. As the season went on, he started to hit the holes better. Yeah. He started to see the field better. He was catching the ball. He was he was a pass pro demon. Yeah. When vertical sets and him and more him and Quentin Moore were were just co-MVPs of that offensive line. And then we're in San Antonio, and um I got I got a message saying, um, well, actually, I take that back. Um, I got first like face-to-face -face information from somebody connected to the team that said um, Cam Davis got concussed in the warm-up yeah. game and he wasn't going to play. And my heart sunk because I was like, crud, that is our beast. We're going to need that guy. Like, you know, 13 touchdowns or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. And Wayne busted that game open early. He had that big, long run, yeah. long touchdown. He was great. He did everything he was supposed to do. And I was so thankful. I was like yelling at Wayne from the stands after like, come on. And, and we tried to get on the field and obviously they wouldn't let us, but um, it was only for the family members. But I was like screaming at Wayne, like, great job, man. And he, he waved back. And, and I just, that was like a total 180 on my part. Cause I like, I didn't get it. Like I didn't see that early on in the season. I thought pretty good. I was really frustrated in the Arizona state game when he tripped and, and didn't get the first down. I was like, Oh man. And, and that's okay because you know, players aren't perfect and they all make mistakes and we're fans and we're idiots sometimes. And we judge right. too closely and too quickly, but so to move on to Dylan Johnson, um, huge fan of his, I knew I, I got to see him a little bit um, when he was playing at Mississippi state uh, a lot of people were like, well, who is this guy? I don't know. And they're like, well, he's not so explosive. I'm like, oh, he is. He's a high cut runner. He 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 runs with some power. I know there's he got in Leach's doghouse once. He said he wasn't tough, except for the fact that Leach is always was always a little bit tongue in cheek and he was always trying to motivate right. people. He was there, he was there, Cam Davis. He was there, hey, we need oh, to touch yeah. inside the 10 yard line. We're gonna feed Dylan Johnson. 
<clears throat> so they're very similar in that way. It's just Dylan Johnson is that guy that can line up in the slot and kill somebody because he's just he's just natural. Yeah. But yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing those guys. I I was really disappointed to hear that uh Tybo was a bit of hot water because he's my he's my next big hope for having an explosive, you know, speed back that can get to the perimeter and yeah kinds of things and i still think we need to recruit one this year but that's all right <laughs> um really looking forward to see what will nixon does with a little ad size i thought they you know he got dinged up last year i wanted to see more of that jet sweep stuff i wanted to see him out in space catching the ball on some screens and doing some things so i'm excited to see what he can do um yeah um there's just a full room full of guys that are have been in the system for a little bit now and you said you know ron mckeefrey's program and these guys just they look like monsters. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And I mean, the, the not even mentioning like Daniel Nagata comes over from, Oh yeah. From Arizona state. It's, it is, I feel like it's an embarrassment of riches um, at a spot where, you know, you're not gonna finish the season with the same rotation that you start with just because of the brutality. I thought, of the I thought he was really in the wrong system at ASU and they did use him in, in certain ways that were positive. I felt like he put on a little bit of muscle and he just kind of lost some of that quickness he had when he was at Folsom. And um, I'm hoping to kind of see that slim down version. I, I haven't seen him in person. You guys have seen him. I, I want him to get all of his quickness back. He's not, he's not a four, three, four, four guy, but if he gets an open space, he can make people miss and, and just another valuable dude to have back there. How many, this is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. How many do you think is going to be in the regular rotation in a game, say, you know, in uh, October, uh, October, mid-October? Assuming that everybody is healthy, because that's always the caveat. Right? Sure, yes. I can see a three-man rotation. I can see a two-back system with a third guy that that does something that the other guys don't, and then a fourth guy will get some random carries. I, I honestly think that it's the Dylan Johnson and, and Cam Davis show, and then anybody else who can add something different as a changeup will be the guy that kind of moves to the front of the line. Um, I know Dylan Johnson probably is, a, a at least in the past, has been a better pass protector than Cam Davis. And that's like the last part of Cam's game. That really, you know, I thought he caught the ball a lot better last year. Yeah. He had that one diving catch on fourth down. Yes, he that, did, where he dove over the line. Um, so I, I don't have any issues with him with the ball in his hands. I just want to make sure that he can stand back there and take on a blitzing linebacker. You know, you know, those are those are things that coaches worry about and fans don't some sometimes, but I really think that if they're both healthy, I think that's the one-two punch. I think so too. And Dylan Johnson's been nicked up at least at the beginning of uh, fall camp, the guy who I actually saw in pass protection look really good in some 11 on 11s was Richard Newton. Um, and I think that was a, a kind of a knock against him for a lot of the beginning of his career. Correct. Yeah. And you know, what was funny is that he came into the program with a shoulder injury. Yes. In plays last year, of high school. And so if you're trying to be a pass pro guy, and you're, you're a running back that's always getting hit in the shoulders and the knees and stuff like that. 
that might be that one thing that that gives you pause when you mm -hmm. got arms out there and, and absorb that hit. So that was never really his thing. They just said, "Hey, go just be a rolling ball of butcher knives and go break some tackles and yeah. be a guy." And um, you know, I've always I've always been a fan of his. I'm really hoping that he's healthy and that he can give. Maybe he's that guy that just punches in at the goal line. Yeah. So. I mean, we've just got some guys that can be some killers. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's it's a position now of strength where you feel like if there is an injury, there are guys with similar skill sets that you're going to be able to offset some of that lost production. Right. It's always good to have guys that can do different things. And yeah, I completely forgot about Nada. And yeah, we just have some guys that can do some different things. And like I said... You know, we don't need him this year, but we do need Tybo to kind of, you know, get back out of the doghouse and and develop this year. He's coming off an injury season last year as a senior, so. Yeah, for sure. And, I I mean, what is it, week one of fall camp, I, I, I assume that he's going to figure out how to get, you know, out of the suspension and, and it'll be something that he learns from and moves on from. Uh, best room in the program, maybe ever. Uh, is the receiving room. Um, the okay. top three guys are all back. I mean, is there a better three receiver tandem in college football? It's like us in Ohio State. Texas right. thinks they have a claim. They don't. I agree. It's not close. Um, and they have good receivers. I'm not saying anything bad about the sure. receivers. Um, this is, I think, I feel like this is like a generational trio. For us, yes, it is. Like Ohio State just keeps churning out these like top wide receiver classes every year. And it's like, eh. I mean, one guy's in Kirkland or not Kirkland, Renton right now. Um, I'm going to the old Seahawks uh, facility. Um, huh. Jack Smith, Najibia. Mm -hmm. um, you've got Marvin Harrison's kid who's going to be like the second pick in the draft next year. Right. If it goes right. So I get it. Um, I think, you know, what we saw at Aroma Dunze last year was like, okay, there it is. Yeah. There's still room for improvement. Everybody I've talked to is just raving about his improvements. He's got, he's a, honestly, he's a cheat code. Like he, the way that he plays, especially downfield is what you expect out of a NFL receiver. I mean, he, any ball that's in the air around him, he, gets in the way of the a bracket, a double team or whatever, and he finds a way to just be in the right position and get those guys out of position. It's it was wild to watch. It's 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 maturity and it's just learning the game. And when you have a coach, a coaching staff, I should say, um, that is so well versed in every offensive, you know, key and and technique. And he's got a receivers coach now, Jamarcus you know, Shepard, who, yeah. honest to goodness, like is the most energetic dude I've ever been around. Wild, you um, can hear him almost the entire practice. Yeah, and um, just that influence. Like, can you imagine if he had stayed through the program with with the, the previous staff? We might not be having this conversation. And he's so talented. Like, yeah. you could buy on talent, but now it's like he's got all the answers to the test. Oh, 100%. And he's yeah. going to go – both of those guys are going to go into the NFL draft next year 
and the conversation around them won't be how talented they are uh, and their high ceiling. It's how good of a receiver they are to go along with all of their measurables. And one thing that I know I've mentioned it, I know Hood Husky mentioned it um, a bunch last year too, was I want to see Rome go up and get the ball and take it yeah. away from because he is his he was so big and he's so athletic, but the the being a taker is what we you know we call it. Mm-hmm. I got call it to wide receivers coach like you got to be a taker. You got to go take that ball away from people because they're not going to give it to you. We started to see that a little bit at the end of last season in the bowl game, the Alamo Bowl. Um, that catch he caught on the sidelines and then ran through people, and they got the first down. And he came. They didn't. I don't know if they showed it on TV. But he came to the sideline and people were pumping him up and he's screaming and yeah, he's flexing going and like, oh, there's the leadership there. And you saw it throughout the game, huddling people around like he just came off as his total badass alpha. And mm-hmm. I was like, there it is. <laughs> it's, that's the dude. Mm-hmm. And then he went up and led the band afterwards. And it's like, yeah, he's feeling it. I thought for sure that was his last game. I was like, yeah. all right, nothing left to prove. I left it all on the field. The fact that he's back it is. Um, the Pac-12 is not going to be happy. Jalen McMillan is going to be able to do his thing from the slot or wherever else they line him up. I actually think this could work out to where, yeah, Jalen could definitely jump. But if he wants to stick around and be the guy, yeah, raise his stock. I know it's like, why would he do that? But um, it's possible. I love Jalen McMillan because he was sort of like, the, the the thinner guy and everybody thought he was kind of softer and it took him a while to kind of put it together. And obviously again, when you have a real offensive staff in place that can teach. Works, it's wonderful, isn't it? Have the strength and conditioning to go with that. The ball he took away in the Oregon game from, <laughs> from um, Oh God. Christian um, Gonzalez. Gonzalez. Uh, first round pick. <laughs> and he took the ball away from being an interception um, that kid's got so much confidence now. There's absolutely no stopping him. And um, just it's freakish to think that after those two, then you got Jalen Polk. Yeah. And then you've got Charles Jackson and you've got Jeremy Bernard and in and, and Boston. And it's like, okay, who are you going to cover? I, I can't believe how many guys in this room. And, and the one that I feel like has been overlooked, and it's I think it's because of how multifaceted he is as a player is Giles Jackson uh, watching him run routes. He's so much faster than everybody. Um, and you know, his, he's a little bit smaller, but because of the way that he runs, especially towards the sidelines, if they throw it out there, he's able to just run underneath it and catch it going out of bounds. You get him in space. He's really, really hard to catch. He's low to the ground. He's, uh, he, he, he changes direction really well, uh, and being so small, just really tough to wrap up. I, I think that, you know, he's not ever going to have the numbers of those top three, but I think he plays a major role in, uh, you know, he's not going to be a guy that's going to catch 10 balls a game, but he's going to, you know, he's going to have a game where he catches five balls that are very crucial. Right. And when he first got to Washington and, I've never had anybody confirm this. I thought he wasn't hundred percent. There was something like, I remember him from his high school film and I thought, wow, where's the explosion. That right. This kid? And you saw it on the kick returns and it's just kind of like, what's going on with him. But then last year it kind of fell into place and obviously not being a number one or number two option. 
Um, it's hard. You, you don't see the ball a lot, but he's he can work those underneath. He can get out to the perimeter. He can do whatever you need him to do. I'm just hoping that he puts enough of that on tape to where, you know, there was a time when I didn't think that um, Marvin Hall was going to be a, an NFL receiver, and he just retired this week. Yeah, after like a decade in the league. He was in there for a while. Like, yeah, yeah that, that whole – they tried to start the Legion of Zoom with – John Ross and Jadon Mickens and Jadon Mickens was another kid. I'm like, Oh my God, he had a nice little career there. Yeah, he did. But I think Giles Jackson, I think he can follow along that, follow along that path, mm -hmm. find a, a career. Like it's just oh, yeah, for sure. That'll all fall perfectly. And, and, and obviously there's a lot of mouths to feed, but um, there's some always has the return game as well that he can right. kind of rest on. <clears throat> Yeah, and then you know you you look at the guys that you mentioned. Denzel Boston's having the best camp out of anybody. I mean, he. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to I'm actively trying to find it. There's a picture of him catching a ball. It was the first game played in Washington after the shutdown. It was the FSP Air game, and he caught a ball in the right corner of the end zone that the official called out, <laughs> uh, and uh, and. It was a photographer that I had been talking to. His kid is at Cal, is or was at Cal, and he just showed me his lens, and it was a perfect foot in the corner of the end zone with the ball in his hands. I'm trying to find the picture. It's 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 a beautiful picture. Um, he was the best player on the field, uh, and now he's come to Washington. He's not the best player on the field, but he's having a fantastic camp. Um, yeah. back shoulder um, ball. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, last spring, um, when we were at the clinic, um, he and, um, Tristan Dunn were walking around practice and they were just yeah. in like warmups, you know, just goofing around. And I looked at him and I was like, that's not Denzel Boston, is it? That's not Denzel Boston, is it? He looks like a man. Yeah. Like what happened to this kid? He was so skinny last year mm -hmm. and now he's just wow, and and he's had another year to put that together. So yeah, you know you're not gonna have an easy time covering this team for a while. Yeah, they got more guys coming. <laughs> I mean, and, Denzel Boston, Jeremy Bernard, Rashid Williams, and uh, the last commit of the class, um, fifteen Lions. Yeah, yeah. Trayshawn Lions. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the core of the future, and they're all scary good, and and they're all playing really well with the twos and the threes right now. So they're not going to get a ton of time this year. Um, but smart. they'll just, they'll just cozy up to Mr. Mac and uh, get in his ear. So yeah. <laughs> ready to roll after everybody else graduates. 100%. And then the room that I think is underappreciated is the tight end room. We've kind of talked about them a little bit. Devin Culp has all the tools to be, you know, the next, really good tight end to go to the NFL if his hands are fixed. Um, you saw it from time to time. He he carried the team in 2021 at times. Uh, he almost won them the Colorado game. I was there. He was unbelievable. He had some major plays. He had some great catches. Uh, consistency, I think, for Culp is uh, the thing that, they're, that I, I guess if I'm an NFL scout, I'm looking for. Uh, Jack Westover, the – probably the most sure-handed safety blanket on this team. He just 
every time they need him, he's wide open and, and hopefully he stops jumping over people. Um, yeah. And then Josh Cuevas, uh, you know, uh, another guy who just dominated the FCS and has come in and has shown that he's just a really good receiving tight end who can block. That guy was so fun on film. And I went and dug back out into his uh, high school stuff and seen the maturation. And it was really hard to find his college film. But the stuff I did find was like bootlegged practice stuff. And it was right. It's getting moved so naturally. It's like, yeah, yeah, he's one of those definite move tight ends. He's not necessarily an inline guy, but you never know with a couple of years in the weight room. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of all these guys. Yeah, um, Quentin Moore was the other one I didn't mention, but we have talked about him already. Absolutely. Um, Westover is just that dude that in the last system, he was playing H back, a little fullback. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't seem like, you know, it's sort of a position that's extinct. Yeah. And then the new staff comes in and goes, no, oh, you're a tight end at six, two and a half, six, three and <laughs> right. the side of the world. And all he does is just get open and he blocks people and he'll stay in and block a, a pass pro occasionally, but on those underneath things on the, on the wide delay on crossers on mesh. I mean, he's always in the right spot. He's always open. He catches the ball. He's sure handed. It's just, it's really an embarrassment of riches. It really is. And, you know, Washington through even through some of the dark days, man, they just had good tight ends and it doesn't matter, you know, the, the coaching staff, they just, I don't know what it is in the water in Seattle, but they just develop really good tight ends in this group. I mean, is there four NFL players in this group, uh, three NFL players in this group? Might be. Um, And then there's Ryan Otten. Right, right. Oh, 100%. Who what? probably won't okay. play. He was banged up last year. God, this team is just so deep at this position. That's, that's insane. I, I don't even say it. I was, you know, I was I was slightly disappointed that my boy Jackson Bowers isn't isn't a Husky this year. He was Oof. It was so close. You have no You know idea. what? Um, yeah, Jackson uh for a year Going into his junior, uh, going into his junior year, we're at, we're at football camp out in Joseph City, out in the middle of nowhere, and we're, the first time we get on the field, and I go, "Hey, what are you thinking, recruiting wise?" And he goes, "I'm thinking Washington, and BYU," and I was like, "What? You're not just saying that?" And he's like, "No, no." It was really close, and obviously, he, you know, it was it's a really easy decision um, to kind of go with the community, and 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 you know. Yeah. An LDS kid from Mesa going to BYU, it's like you, you can set yourself up your future for life. Yeah, that's all um, I right? And but he did love he did love Washington and Nick Sheridan was all over him. And uh his mom loved Washington. She actually liked Jimmy Lake at the very beginning of this process. She liked Jimmy too. Um, she loved Nick Sheridan. They had a great time. And uh, you know, I was I was so heartbroken. But the good news is that we've got a loaded room right now and we've got more coming and Nick Sheridan finally got his high school tight end recruit. So we're feeling pretty good. Um, yeah, that's a really loaded class now. Now I think about it, loaded room. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sorry. I, I don't feel bad that we're hoarding all the weapons, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it it's uh uh, I I texted I think it was Mike Martin I said an embarrassment of riches and he said I'm not embarrassed. 
<laughs> kind of liked that. Um, moving on to the O line, this is where there was the most turnover of any position on the offense. Uh, Washington brings back their bookends of Troy Fatanu and Roger Wars and Garden, and those two are future NFL players. Um, it looks like the ones have been at least decided in front of us. Uh, Mateo Mele is the starting center. It looks like Parker Brailsford is going to, he's been running with the twos. Nate Kalepo and Julius Bulow uh, are the two guards. Uh, Gary and Hatchet is, is right there. Guard Memelar is right there as well, but uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, along the, in the, in the interior, it's going to be Mele, uh, Buelo and Kalepo. And it's, I, 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 I don't see that changing. Um, I've talked to a couple of people sitting in the stands in the media and they think that eventually this will end up being a net positive, uh, a better group than what left. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that. So that's, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked me that because I was thinking a lot about this and talking a lot about this. Um, when we went into the season last year, I was livid because I thought Mele, Mateo Mele was going to be the starting center. Sure. Luciano got in there and I was like, what are we talking about here? Corey Luciano, he's lighting the wallet, you know, blah, blah, blah. I came from JC. And Mele had, uh, been the set, the, the, yeah. um, he was, the number he was, two before that. Yeah. He actually got that start when, uh, Nick Harris was hurt down in Arizona. Yeah. I was at that game and he did really well. And I was like, yeah, funny, funny, weird note about that. Um, Mateo, obviously as a sophomore was playing tight end. Yeah. And I'm 90% sure I coached him at a camp when he was a tight end. Oh, no kidding. Like some big combine camp or whatever. And I remembered, I just kind of remember the name. And then the next year he was a tackle and he started getting on the recruiting. I was like, oh, that's that kid. He's a lot bigger now. Okay. <laughs> um. So what I was going to say, though, is that I was so wrong about Corey Luciano because when I went back at the end of the season, I was thinking about it. I was like, did you ever notice Corey being a problem or ever getting worked or anything like that? Like, he was just invisible. Yeah. And then I went and I went to PFF, and he was a top 20 ranked nationally yeah. college center. Yep. And I was like, "Wow, I, I was wrong about that one." And and then another had, former fullback. Oh my god, that's so crazy! Yeah. And then you had Henry Bonavalu and um, and Nate. Nate was, and obviously we lost Jackson Kirkland to graduation. Um, but Nate Kalepo was that starter before Jackson came back. So yeah. I don't feel really nervous about that. I thought he did a really good job when he was in there. Mateo is absolutely the right guy to play center right now. And he's, you know, he might just, I feel like I don't know anybody's real eligibility, but I think he's about done. Like I, I think he's a senior. I can look at yeah. um, um Julius um, Bulo, he's done such a great job on his, on just his physique. Not that he was ever like a sloppy kid because that kid looked like an Avenger when he was in high school. Like he just looked like, a just a lab experiment and i remember that uh 2019 i think coaches clinic we were out on the field and i'm standing 10 feet behind uh some guys at the offensive line on the sideline and there's trey adams jared hilbers who are both you know six yeah. eight 
And there's this freshman, Julius Bulos, that made them look scrawny. Yeah. Yeah, the widest shoulders and back mm-hmm. I'd ever seen being in my entire life. It's weird to think of him as an interior lineman, right? Being 6'8 and over 300 pounds. Yeah. But he's he's definitely trimmed down. Yeah. Like, said, like he was a big, fat, like sloppy guy. Like he, sure. he looked like a superhero. I'm, I'm just saying. Yeah. And he's really done a, a lot of work. I think for me, I want to see that he gets deeper into his stance. I think he plays lower because he's so big. Yeah. I don't want to see like defensive linemen coming up to his sternum and, and just getting under his pads. I, I think that if he can just handle that, sky's the limit. And if not, then you've got hatchet, you've got, you know, guard and, and other guys that, you know, and with Parker, I talked to his dad just the other day. Um, the thing with him is he's probably one of the hardest workers in the program He's just not, his weight is not where it needs to be yet. He's you listed know? right now at 6'2", 275. That's about, uh, yeah, I think his dad said hit the highest he's been is about 278, 280. Mm. So that's his only limit because the kid is athletic and agile and hardworking and strong. And I've seen the kid play when he's in high school and he just dominated D1 guys. And, yeah, you know, it's only a matter of time. I think next year is his year. I think he's going to get on the field plenty this year. And I think he's going to be ready to go next year and just be a force. Yeah. So Mateo Mele is a senior. Uh, Fatanu would be a junior, but I don't see barring something wild, him coming back. Um, Nate Kalepo's a junior. Rosengarden's a sophomore. Uh, Bulo is a that's junior. so funny to me. He's a he's a sophomore. I know, I know, I know. Like, like four years. <laughs> yeah. Um, Guard Memoir, who's will always be like my favorite player in that 2020 class. He's a sophomore, <laughs> and <laughs> it, you know, sure, that, that COVID sure. year screwed a lot of things up. So, uh, I don't. I don't think he's going to stay till his senior year. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He's going to come out with a doctorate when he, by the time he's done playing football. Man, it's so cool to see Troy and Roger and how far they've come. Oh my gosh! Yes. I remember Troy when he was I think Liberty High School back in the day, and he was going up against Nolan Smith, the number one player in the country out of Georgia. And Nolan Smith, who is now a Philadelphia Eagle. Yeah. And just completely owned him just worked him all day long and you're like okay cool and roger um just being a mauling ferocious dude up in colorado yeah you know just the way that these guys have developed and they've got this this probably this last year together to where they can just kind of put their stamp on it yeah Uh, well and troy being you know relatively short for being a left tackle at six, four. Um, he looked, you know, he, he, I, I saw him after, I mean, at practice, he just looks, he looks, he just looks really, really, really athletic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just, I'm really impressed with this offensive line. Uh, shoot. I'm impressed with this entire offense yeah. and, you know, Putting all of these players together, these schemes together, I'm looking at the schedule, and I see the best defense that they're going to play is Oregon State, 
at Reeser. And I'm unsure where the second best uh, defense is. Is it Cal? Oregon? Uh, so Utah? Utah lost some guys. They did. They lost Clark Phillips for yeah. sure. Um, I know they have the uh, – oh, maybe I'm off on that. The Reynolds kid, maybe he's not there anymore. I'm not, I'm not sure. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I'm looking at it now. And, you know, it's funny to me because I really don't care who the defense is. I mean, this is Georgia circa, you know, last two years. Right. Obviously, those dudes are just a bunch of NFL first round, second round draft. <laughs> right. Which is insane. <laughs> but, um, when I see when I, when I foresee what can happen during the season, I think there are two things that are going to determine if this offense just doesn't miss, miss a beat and kind of takes off into the stratosphere. Actually, three things. I had three things that I want to talk about. First thing we already talked about a little bit was the interior offensive line. If they gel, if they're good, and this, you know they're veteran guys, so there's a good chance that they will. If they can keep people out of our backfield. We're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, the second part of that is what I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast is uh, I really feel like teams are going to do everything in their power to just throw different looks, get two safeties back, just make sure that we can't, you know, chunk play them to death. So it's up to our guys to like stay patient and just take what they give. We're That's open what Pete Lukowski did in Seattle forever too, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Did to everybody. Yeah. And because I really think that when teams go back and they look at the film from last year, like, dude, these guys are running free. Mm-hmm. I slowed this down. You know, Michigan State learned the hard way. Jalen yeah. Polk they ends up on one, two, three. <laughs> um, but the, the third aspect of that is is the run game on our part, just being able to like, you want to put two safeties back, you got seven in the box, we're going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And the other aspect of the run game is whether or not we stop the run. Because we got a team like Boise coming in that first game, and they love to run the football. And I was listening to some of these Boise guys talk, and they're like, we, we're going to mash them up front. We're going we're gonna to control the ball. We're going to do this, and we've got an athletic quarterback, whatever. And I'm like, okay. Okay, I'll write that down. you got Oregon State who can obviously run the football. You've got Oregon who can obviously run the football. And we struggled at times against those teams. Yeah. you got Cal who, despite the fact that they're not really that dynamic of an offense, have um, a young sophomore back by the name of Ott who just yeah. – I would have taken on our team if he had yeah. transferred. Like, I would have taken him, like, right this second. Right. Um and uh, oh my gosh, Michigan State, despite the fact that you know they didn't really show it last year, they're still a team that prides themselves on being physical and running the football, and they usually have some pretty good running backs. Um, there USC is going to be able to run the ball, so whether we can slow that aspect of other teams' offenses down, if we can keep them in third and longs, and we can start to like use our athletes to take the ball away better this year and get our pass rush going. If we can get those guys off the field, we can get the ball back and we can just run the score up. But if we can't stop the run, it's going to be, you know, 
we might get to 30, but the other team might get to 28 and, and 35, you know, 31 games, stuff like that. It's stuff we probably don't want to see. I'd rather it be 48 to 10, you know, right. 50, 60 points. Let's just, let's just keep running it up, but we got to be able to stop people's run. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really, so, so your answer is the offense is going to be as good as the defense allows them. Partially. Yeah. And I, I have high hopes. I think our defense is going to be improved and I agree. See, we have more depth. And by the time we got to that Arizona game, UCLA and Arizona back to back, it was like, who are all these kids on the field right now? Yeah. There was a guy, I still never caught the guy's name at Arizona state. Who was the walk on who didn't have a name name plate on. And we're playing, you know, we're playing uh true freshman at D line and we've yeah. got, you know, Tristan back there playing some safety and it's like, what happened? And people were like, how did we lose to Arizona state? They had their backup quarterback. They just, oh, we were running. so depleted. It was wild they running flood. And the, the hardest thing about flood is you have to be on the same page. You have to, your secondary has to be able to communicate and know who's got whom. Yeah. And they just ran that play over and over and over again because we were lost because we had two freshmen on the field. Right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it sucks to lose that game and it was a close game, but um, we have better depth this year. Now, if you moved laterally over into Vegas and became an odds maker, what would you put Washington's points per game at? Off the top of my head, I don't remember what it was last year. It was somewhere around like, it was like 36 to 38, wasn't it? Or maybe a little bit higher. I can't remember, honestly. But looking at our schedule, looking at our opponents, thinking about the physical and mental maturity of a lot of these guys. Obviously, health is always a big caveat. we got to throw that out there. But there's no reason in my mind that we shouldn't be a 39, 40-point average, you know, like, so we were thir- we were 39 and a half points last year. All right, cool. I mean, a 40 points per game average should be like where the floor is, like where we mm-hmm. say like this needs to happen because we're too good not to score 40 points a game. And right. we're not there's going to be some games where we score 30ish, 28, 30, some closer games, but there's also some games that we need to run the score up a little bit because these guys don't have any defenses, Oregon. Um, no, I didn't say that, did I? Um, I kind of did. <laughs> I think the state's defense is going to be a little lesser than it was the last couple of years. Um, Washington State, you know, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on one of our preseason. It's Boise State, Tulsa, and Michigan Tulsa, State. Tulsa. Come on, Tulsa. Yeah. We're gonna put up sixty in that game, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think a good place to start is forty, and try to creep into that forty-three points per game range because that would put us on pace to be one point a game better than the national championship team in ninety-one that scored forty-two points a game in three so, quarters. Yeah, we would no starters playing this in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Um, yeah, not, not nearly as dynamic as an offense, but at the same time, they just, they also had Mario Bailey and Orlando McKay and Lincoln Kennedy and Super Mala blocking up front. And right. Kaufman was the third running back on that team. Isn't that crazy? 
true freshman Napoleon Kaufman behind, yeah. you know, Bryant and Jay Berry. And, uh-huh. and yeah. yeah, I know that team frontwards and backwards. I know that our third receiver was a kid named Curtis Gaspard from New Orleans. And uh, yeah, that's, that's entirely too much information in my head about that team, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I think if I was an odds maker, I'd put it at like 42 and a half and make people did there. I see what you did there. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's kind of where, like, that's where I want. That's where I think they'll be like right around the 42, kind of like what you're saying. But uh, if I'm going to try to make money, that's where I'm going to put the line. That's not, that's not terrible. Uh, I don't hate it. Honestly. Yeah. I think like, you know, I just want everybody healthy yeah. and I want everybody just to kind of, you know, be able to go with the flow defensive, make adjustments. And we just kind of do what we do. You know, it's not, you don't have to outsmart everybody if you're good. Right. You have to execute. That's a great it. point. And this team, yeah. You know, you're not going to see some of those gimmicks that you see on some, some previous teams. Not that they're not going to do some razzle dazzle because uh, I, I think Ryan Grubb's one of the coolest offensive coordinators in the country. Oh man, I would love to just like if if money were an issue and I didn't need a job, I would just ask him if I could be like his intern, just to follow him around for a season. Like I just want to pick his brain. That's such a great idea. Stay in the back of the room, take notes on the iPad, or just write stuff down, and then like have like a like a portion of the day maybe like 15 minutes where i just fire questions and i'm like what about this what about this what about if you get this router look like what are you looking for here in trips formation as opposed to doubles and i would just nerd out and he would be so sick of me by the third week he'd probably send me back to teaching (laughs) well coach uh thank you so much for all of your uh your depth of knowledge and willingness to come on and man i can't wait for this season to get started so uh, you know, we'll have you back on as the season progresses, talk about what we're seeing offensively, defensively, you know, football inside and out. So, uh, you're, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I always have a blast with you, man. Thank you for having me on. All right. Go dogs. Go dogs.